1: is Bill Press and Friends
0: on
2: the District Productive Network.
3: Uh, Let's start on the Muslim ban. It was a, remember that um, this time, the second, the first ban, which uh, is dead in the water, uh, thanks to the federal courts in Washington State and the Ninth Circuit. So the White House with uh, a lot of, um, uh, you know, kind of hype put out a second ban, which they said was much cleaner, much, much neater, even though the first one they said was still valid, the second one is going to do the trick. Well, it was no, no sooner out than a, a district, the Attorney General, rather, in Hawaii filed suit against it, followed by the Attorneys General of uh, Oregon, Washington State, California, New York, and Massachusetts, might have been one other state in there. So. The attorneys general of uh, the state attorneys general really on the job on this, and the first ruling came out late yesterday in Hawaii, uh, where the judge said, "No way, this is an unconstitutional order," and not a, And this is, in other words, because it is still, even though it's down to six countries, not seven, even though they took out the language that said we'll let Catholics in but not Muslims. Uh, the judge said, "If you listen to Donald Trump and if you read Donald Trump's words." We know what this is all about. This is a religious test. This is clearly unconstitutional against the First Amendment. From the judge, Derek Watson, quote, The illogic of the government's contentions that this is not a religious ban is palpable. The notion that one can demonstrate animus toward any group of people only by targeting all of them at once is fundamentally flawed. He speaks there to the argument that the Trump campaign, Trump administration makes that this can't be a Muslim ban because there are only six countries named and there are a lot of other Muslim countries out there, including the biggest on the planet, which is um, Indonesia. And the judge said, yeah, that illogic is palpable. And he goes on to say, just look at what Donald Trump has said as to why he's doing this, quote, The judge, again, quote, these statements, which include explicit direct statements of President Trump's animus toward Muslims and intention to impose a ban on Muslims entering the United States, present a convincing case that the first executive order was issued to accomplish as nearly as possible President Trump's promised Muslim ban. There is the case against this Muslim ban. Man, pardon me, had a little sneeze. Donald Trump yesterday in Nashville. He didn't call him a so-called judge, but almost. Here he is.
0: We're going to fight this terrible ruling. We're going to take our case as far as it needs to go, including all the way up to the Supreme Court.
3: Yes, and then the president says, damn it, I've got the right to do this as president. I can do anything I want. Uh, why hasn't he learned that lesson yet? But he's going to learn it sooner or later. No, he can't. And, of course, he has to drag Hillary into the argument. And, of course, his supporters have changed. The law changed. and
0: the Constitution give the president the power <laughs> to suspend immigration when he deems, or she, or she... Fortunately, it will not be Hillary. She.
3: Oh, there it is. Can't resist. And they can't resist. Here it goes. Yeah. Lock her up. Lock her up. Uh, a moment for the president to say, No, 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 no. Let's not go back there, right? But no, no, But who cares no, about this, that anymore? But who cares about that anymore? But he just incites the worst in people, and that's who he is. Yeah. So this is really, really significant there. So other state cases, there's still other case, uh, state cases pending, and this is a little bit of breaking news here this morning from CNN. A federal judge in Maryland has temporarily blocked uh, the ninety-day <laughs> 90 ban on immigration for citizens of six countries in Donald Trump's executive order. Boy, are
2: you sick of so, winning yet? Remember, so, he said we were going to get sick of winning. I, I yeah, I'm uh, not sick of winning. Uh, no, uh, no, I'm not either. <laughs> but, you know what I love about this is... But, so
3: that's Maryland ad- adding to Hawaii, which came last night, just to keep you up to date.
2: He, here's what I love about this case, is this was their chance to get it right. Yeah. This was their redo. And the judge took <coughs> the statements that Trump himself said, right? that Rudy Giuliani said, that Stephen Miller, one of the architects of this... That they all said. In fact, they said the quote plainly worded statements betray the executive order's stated secular purpose. In other words, all of these people who speak for the Trump administration—Stephen mm-hmm. Miller, Rudy Giuliani, and starting Donald Trump—all Trump. starting with Donald Trump. All of them went out there and called this a Muslim ban. Right. They, didn't, they didn't call it a travel ban. Yeah. They didn't hide what they were trying to do. They called it a Muslim ban. And the judge said, your words matter. This isn't like a Sean Spicer situation where they say, well, was he joking or was he not joking? You have to have an air of seriousness around these things if you're going to be president of the United States. Well, we, went, uh, we went around and around this
3: little um, uh, issue with uh, Sean Spicer at the, in the briefing room. And, and Spicer kept saying, uh, "No, it's not a ban," and uh, and we kept saying, reporters kept pointing out, "That's what the word. That's the word the president used. He called it a ban in his tweets, in his speeches, in his statements. He called it a ban." And um, so that's exactly what the judge said. We take him at his word when the president of the United States speaks or tweets. Whatever, we take him
4: at his word. I also want to add this from the, from the rally last uh, night because uh. this could get him in trouble because he admits that this band is a watered-down version of the original band.
0: This is a watered-down version. And let me tell you something. I think we ought to go back to the first one and go all the way, which is what I want to do <laughs> he's in the first so place. Stu- he's so
2: stupid.
3: God, yeah.
2: They, right. they're, you, they're, yeah. There's a
0: point where you're just too
3: <laughs> dumb to lead. That really gives, uh, again, (laughs) the opponents of this all the ammunition that they need to say the second ban is the first ban with a little bit of lipstick on it, right?
4: This
0: is a watered-down version. And by the way, you can go back and you can fix the
2: executive order that you screwed up, but you can't erase that tape. And you can't erase the tape of Stephen Miller, Rudy Giuliani, and Donald Trump all calling it what this is, a Muslim ban. You can't change that.
3: There it is. Uh, president Trump uh, out in uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan, yesterday, um, to uh, with a big uh, announcement on cafe standards, and of course the good Congressman from uh, Michigan's fifth congressional district, Congressman Dan Kildee, uh, invited to fly out with the president. That's a, the president always done that. <laughs> not he not so invites some members of the delegation <laughs> to fly <laughs> on Air Force One with him. Oh wow, what an, an honor! Int- yeah. And be introduced and uh, <laughs> not so fast, Bill. <laughs>
5: Somehow but They left you
3: behind at Andrews was, Air Force Base. I
5: was not on the passenger manifest <laughs> somehow. Uh, so maybe, I, maybe it was the weight restrictions. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But, but I've lost uh, a few. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so
3: th- uh, tell us about this cutting, the, not cutting yet, but saying we're going to review the CAFE standards, something President Obama, with the support of the auto industry, put in place in 2012. and. So we can't make fuel-efficient cars? Is that the problem?
5: No. I, the real problem here is that the industry itself has acknowledged that it was moved toward fuel efficiency by the CAFE standards, that it was moved toward innovation. Better cars, and Better right? cars, cars that customers want. I mean, the industry itself has really succeeded during the period since CAFE standards have been put in place. Right. We're selling more cars than ever before and right. better cars. So the details matter what the standards are matter is for me the concern that I have is that like everything else he is going to put short-term profits ahead of everything else including our obligation to the planet and to one another and to generations to come I mean I can be rational about it but one thing we know for sure as long as the industry is always being pushed to innovate it will innovate when we take away that obligation it won't right uh, and the other thing that gets
3: me, if Janie, if we can, at that statement by the president to the auto workers yesterday, where this, here's why, here's why I'm doing this. Uh, let's let Donald Trump speak.
0: We're going to work on the CAFE standards so you can make cars in America again. We're going to help the companies I, and they're I, going I, to help you. That
3: statement, so you can make cars in America again, ignoring the fact that the auto industry might have died were it not for President Obama in 2009. That's why we're making cars in
5: America. Yeah, right. Nothing that this guy had anything to do with. For at least a moment, we had an industrial policy that supported American manufacturers. Now, if if Donald Trump really wanted to do something to help us Mm -hmm. make cars in America, we would uh, renegotiate parts of NAFTA like regarding the rules of origin that allow foreign products to come into the three countries – within NAFTA, including Mexico, Mm -hmm. that are made elsewhere. 62.5% of a vehicle has to be made in the three countries in order for it it to be treated as a domestic-produced vehicle. Fix that. But don't take away this, I think, there's a poetic convergence that CAFE provides. Industry can grow because it is innovating around fuel efficiency, and that's what happened. And to sort of say, okay, well, that isn't really what happened. We're going to change things right. so that we can go back to a time and place where we were actually losing market share. You know, it just doesn't make sense.
3: So ignoring the fact that we are making more cars and better cars and selling more cars and we're moving toward fuel efficiency. The other thing I thought the president ignored, totally ignored yesterday, is he was talking to a group of union auto workers, Right. We're making those better cars because we've got the great, great union force of auto workers who've been doing that for years. And they know what they're doing, and you know we wouldn't be there without them. Yeah, and su-
5: support those workers.
3: And how much support are they going to get from this administration That's and this problem. Congress?
5: Don't put those workers in a position where they have to compete against subminimum wages in other parts of the world. Now the president talks about trade, but the details really do matter on this and you know obviously i had some differences with president obama when it came to some specific areas of trade sure but you know the problem of course is these auto workers have heard it before he's promising a lot but what he's suggesting in terms of policy really does not help it doesn't work in our in our in our it doesn't work to the advantage of those very workers
3: It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Joining us in studio from the Daily Beast, Aswin Sang. So last night in Nashville, Jamie, the extra piece that you found where Donald Trump says, he makes the very same point that you did uh, and made that point last night about what Stephen Miller says, uh, basically saying, I wish we hadn't come out with a second version of it in the first place here's donald trump last night
0: this is a watered down version and let me tell you something i think we ought to go back to the first one and go all the way which is what i want to do in the oh, first
2: what is wrong with him you didn't. what is wrong yeah. with him like yeah. what is he's it's we ought to go back to the first version which lesson. is
4: what i wanted to do in the first place well perhaps he actually does mean that i mean But also, at the same time, this could be as interpreted as him just reverting back to his campaign trail rhetoric, which is exactly what these big rallies are. It's election season mode Donald Trump because that's where uh, the political entity known as Donald J. Trump thrives. So – and his modus operandi during the campaign was always double down, go for the outrageous, go for the extreme, go for the id. So obviously the result of that would be – it's like, no, to hell with this, like, squishy – Right. Uh, like moderated whatever version. Let's go back to the full throttle, like, killer version that, you know, I wanted, first of all. So so if you think of that mindset of Trump, it totally makes sense rhetorically that you he would say
3: he, that. He, he really, you make a very good point. He really is pure Donald Trump when he is in full campaign mode, attacking, insulting, and throwing – I wish I could use that word on television, throwing crap, making crap up um, mm-hmm. and throwing it out there without any need to defend it, right? Um, on another related issue, for, it comes to, like, the charge that President Obama tapped, ordered a tap of his phones at Trump Tower and where this may have come from. I know you've been reporting on this, which is why I wanted to ask you about it. Mm-hmm. So on his, in his interview with um, Tucker Carlson last night on Fox News, uh, Tucker, ask him. So, where'd you learn about this? Uh, where'd you get, what's your source for, for this wiretap? Obama wiretap. Here's the president.
0: I've been reading about things. I read in, I think it was January 20th, a New York Times article where they were talking about wiretapping. Uh, there was an article, I think they used that exact term. Uh, I read other things. I watched your friend Brett Baer uh, the day previous where he was talking about. Uh, certain very complex sets of things happening, and wiretapping. I said, wait a minute, there's a lot of wiretapping being talked
4: about. So where did it come from? Uh, Well, where it actually came from was a uh, Breitbart editor and writer named Joel Pollack was listening to The Mark Levin Show, which is like a... uh, Ultra conservative. Uh, he's a lunatic. I, uh,
3: he, he's a lunatic. I know more. The, yeah, you're right. As, oh, as you know far, Mark, you... As far right wing as you can get,
4: Mark Levin. Yes. There you go. There you go. Mark Levin, very right wing, <laughs> super quote unquote constitutionalist. Wor- thinks worst. Obama was close to Hitler. Stuff like that. Um, if you listen to his radio show, it's pure right wing id that you can inject into your bloodstream. Um, and uh, Mark Levin was ranting uh, on one radio show broadcast about how um, basically about how Obama was basically wire-tapping Trump during the campaign, like completely unfounded, a bungling of headlines, wasn't grounded in anything Trump may or may not have read in the New York Times, whatever he claimed on Tucker Carlson's Fox News show. So the Breitbart writer writes this in an article, basically just recapping the Mark Levin um, um, rant and then misinterprets it himself and then draws all these like weird, bizarre conclusions about what Obama mm-hmm. supposedly, but didn't actually, there's no evidence for it do, during the 2016 campaign. Uh, the article, as multiple news reports uh, pointed out before Donald Trump started tweeting about Obama wiretapping him during the campaign because Russia or whatever. Um, this story by Breitbart starts circulating within the uh, White House. Obviously makes its way to Donald Trump. Donald Trump gets mad about it and starts wildly tweeting about it, and thus a news cycle is born. That's how we got here. It wasn't because Donald Trump had any access to top-secret knowledge, which he, as leader of the free world, does have access to. He read a story at Breitbart.com, which, of course, was once run by Stephen K. Bannon, his top strategist in the White House, that made him mad. And he started uh, live-tweeting his anger.
2: Here's how he started tweeting. Uh, This was early, early. (laughs) early— On a Saturday morning? It 6, was. 6.49? March 4. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he starts out by saying, Is it legal for a sitting president to be, quote, wiretapping, end quote, a race for president prior to an election turned down by a court earlier? A new low! Next tweet. I'd bet a good lawyer can make a great case out of the fact that President Obama was tapping my phones in October just prior to election. Next tweet, how low has President Obama gone to tap, two Ps, to tap my phones during the very sacred election process? This is Nixon, Watergate, bad, parentheses, or sick guy.
3: Right. Uh, just want to point out, just to, is this sounds like a little nit, but it's important. There are quotes around the word wiretapping in the first tweet, not yeah. in the second, not in the third, just because the White House makes a big deal about the fact that we didn't mean wiretapping. We just meant surveillance in general. That's why he put quotes around wiretapping. He meant right. wiretapping.
4: Yes, yes. And this is, uh, and also, I believe it was yesterday, uh, President Trump uh, said that. Oh, oh! By wiretapping, like you said, I meant a whole assortment of things—surveillance. I feel like in right. the next two weeks we're going—you're you're, going to yeah. learn a lot more about it. Right. Basically, hinting within the next two weeks, he was going to reveal more information about what he really meant regarding the expansion of the surveillance state under yeah. Barack Obama. Quote we, we, unquote, which if is not—I oh, think.
3: I think you're going to find some very
4: interesting items coming to the forefront over the next two weeks. Which we're not. He, he's done this many times before. <laughs> because last Monday- he, Trump always does this. Yeah. People should stop falling for it. He'll always say, in the next two weeks, you'll find out more. You'll find out the truth. I will reveal X. He did this so often during the campaign. Um, it never happens. It never happens. He, right. he Nothing happens in the next two weeks. He just counts on people moving and, on. And to show
3: you what wh- how they run in circles. So at the briefing the other day, which was Monday, and that was the day the House Intelligence Committee said, put up or shut up on Monday, March 13th. And Sean Spicer says, oh, it's not up to us. It's up to the D- Department of Justice to provide the information. Of course, right. yesterday, Jeff Sessions says zero. They don't have any information. They don't have any evidence. So but but so Sean Spicer says, no, it's it's up to DOJ. So DOJ on Monday afternoon, finally, they said, well, we need more time, again, because they don't have any evidence. So the House gave them until Monday and now, so on the one hand, they're saying it's up to the Department of Justice. And then you've got the president saying, I'm going to provide more
4: information. Just give me a couple of more weeks.
3: I mean, it's been two weeks since he made this charge.
4: It's it's with a popular, zero evidence. It's a popular refrain in journalism circles, particularly those in uh, uh, reporters based in Washington, D.C. and who cover the White House, that, oh, this is another example of Donald Trump trying to distract from the Trump-Russia controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, via, like, wild, irrational tweeting. Um, I'm not in Donald Trump's head, so I don't know, but you would think that if a man were trying to masterfully manipulate the media and try to distract from a Trump-Russia controversy, he would wildly tweet about something that wasn't directly related to the Trump-Russia controversy, because, of course, if Obama had been wiretapping him, it would have been related to what is the real story underneath all this, like, The president's tweet storms, which is complete, you know, nonsense, which is uh, the alleged uh, connections between Trump associates and Trump campaign officials and Russian associates or Russian intelligence. In fact,
3: right. In fact, if you go back, which I did again this morning and read the January 20 article of The New York Times, which does have wiretapping in the headline, it is talking about the fact that there are, according to certain uh, (laughs) intelligence officials, that there are there is surveillance of communications between russian officials russian banks and some people in the trump um orbit if mm-hmm. you will not trump himself but in, and starting with paul manafort and so if former he,
4: campaign chairman former
3: campaign chairman was, so yeah. i think you're right if if there was any surveillance going on it was <laughs> surveillance that the FBI had got received permission for from the FISA court because they suspected that some people around Donald Trump were in conducting illegal operations with Russian officials. Probably,
4: correct? maybe, perhaps, most likely. But the, the thing with the FISA courts and their secrecy is that we don't know, we,
3: we, 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 which no, is right. a whole other. But they subject, had to have some. And, they had to. They had to go to the FISA court and say we have suspicion that there's some wrongdoing on the part of someone. Yeah. Correct.
4: uh yes. But the threshold for the FISA, again, we, we the, this stuff that. is really hard to report because yeah. the, of the intense secrecy surrounding the FISA court. But, uh, but again, I'm I'm uh, I'm getting off track here. That that's we you could do a whole another segment on that. Uh, but, but yeah, the the democratic narrative is that uh, Trump administration, if you're saying we were being quote unquote wiretapped by Obama, which really means not Obama, because Obama can't order the FISA court to do to order or issue a warrant for X, Y, and Z. That's just not how it works. Then that means you were up to something. What were you up to? So that's the Democratic Party's line when or, – or one of their lines when this stuff comes up. It's like, well, if you're alleging that, then what the hell were you doing?
3: Mm-hmm. Right. right. What was going on? Right. So you're right, uh, that, uh, which is a point we've made, <laughs> that that by keeping this alive and raising this issue, Donald Trump is, in fact, inviting more scrutiny on – the what I think the real story. Yeah, this is the, the real story between what was what were the connections with Russia and and were they were they helping Russians try to influence the outcome of the election or were they into some business connections with Russia that so far they deny mm-hmm. and uh, we'll see where that goes.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, as we tell you often, we uh, love our. Uh, location right here on Capitol Hill, because uh, we just uh, send Ray Rogers downstairs uh, you know, once an hour or two to look for any members of Congress walking by. <laughs> we snag them and drag them in the studio, and look who's here today. Actually, right from across the river, Northern Virginia, Congressman Don Beyer from Virginia's 8th District. Good to see you, Congressman.
1: Thank you, Bill. It's nice to be downstairs buying coffee when I walk here. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: seriously, we know you made a special effort yeah. to be here, and uh, and we appreciate that, Um uh, lots to talk about. What's going on here, just down the street in the Congress? But first, this is a big year for Virginia. Big governor's race in Virginia. How's
1: it look? Uh, it is competitive. It uh, you know we we, we had for a couple of years thought that the current lieutenant governor Ralph Northam, who's a wonderful guy, was in the state senate would be the uncontested Democratic nominee, and then uh, Tom Perriello, a very talented. A Virginia political leader and They'd former been in the House.
3: former and, member of Congress, former right? member of yeah.
1: Congress, yeah, who who, um, always close to my heart because he beat Virgil Goode in two thousand eight, mm. who had been a Democrat and then an independent and then a Republican and uh, was one of these well wonderfully crazy campaigners who would go by four tires for his car at four different tire stores on the same Saturday. (laughs) uh, Put his money where his mouth is. And and Tom got beat because he voted for uh, the Affordable Care Act and for cap and trade. And Mm -hmm. um, So he's come, and he spent his intervening years at the Center for American Progress and over at the State Department. So two very good people. I've been for Ralph from the beginning, Mm -hmm. but uh, whichever one wins, we'll have a strong Democratic candidate. And it's really essential because this will be the governor who presides over the next redistricting. Yes. And we had a terrible redistricting in 2011, which has given us a 66-34 lower house, which doesn't look like Virginia. All five Virginia statewide officers are Democrats or three, mm-hmm. uh, three uh, governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, both senators, and yet sixty six thirty four for the Republicans in the House, and it was eight to three in the in the U.S. House until the court threw out the racial packing in Congressman Bobby Scott's third district, and we got a, a fourth member just this year, Don McEachin. Right, and uh, how about so?
3: I- I- is there any chance? That you've got, uh, let's say, Democratic governor, right, to hold on to continue the good work that Terry McAuliffe has done. Right, exactly. Um, Terry's been um, but I, I've talked to him about, you know, the, the problems he's got working with that
1: legislature. Yeah, yeah, Is there yeah, any yeah. chance of getting either house of the legislature back? It, it's it's tough, Bill. The real problem. In 2015, we're in those off year elections, the the odd years. Yeah. There were 112 incumbents that ran for the House and Senate, and 112 incumbents won. So we've got to think about doing something different. Yeah. The, the good news is that seventeen of those Republicans are in seats that Hillary Clinton won just in November. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's not rocket science to say we've yeah. targeted all seventeen. Right. And in a perfect world, if we won seventeen, we'd take back the House fifty-one forty-nine. Right. Now, one. Um, other- and by the, the good news, is we do have candidates in all seventeen too. So.
3: Yeah. So one um, other big issue today that uh, um, that impacts uh, Virginia particularly. Uh, is Donald Trump's budget cuts uh, EPA by 31 uh, percent. We just talked uh, to your colleague uh, uh, Dan Kildee from Michigan was in a little bit earlier. One of the things that gets axed is the Great Lakes Restoration Project, the Puget Sound Restoration Project, and in Virginia, the Chesapeake Bay, not just Virginia, Maryland too, but for yeah. Chesapeake Bay Restoration Project.
1: And, and it's just tragic for Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, really the entire East Coast. um, There are folks like Chesapeake Bay Foundation, Will Baker, that have been working for a generation, two generations, trying to restore the bay. And for the first time in this last year, some of the scores were getting up from a a D to a D plus or a a D to a C minus. Yeah. Finally moving in the right direction. So the oysters are coming back. The grasses are coming back. And the last thing we want to do the is blue stop crabs that. coming yeah, yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, this is exciting. I <laughs> mean, yeah, you and,
2: see all this improvement over time. Like we had real problems, and we address them. And sometimes it costs money to fix those problems, and it just doesn't seem to matter. No, and it's not even that much money. Right, right, you right, know, right, and, right. And this is,
1: and it's not partisan. We've had Republican governors. Well, Larry Hogan is good yeah. on this. Yeah, Bob McDonald, other Virginia Republican governors. This has been everyone coming together to try to bring the bay back this is an old statistic that from when I was running for governor 20 years ago is that w- w- in the Chesapeake Bay watershed we flush an amount of water equal to the total amount in the bay every day oh wow um, so it's very challenged and it's not very deep water out there uh, so it is really tragic the the tempering news is the states are also very committed to it so, I'm I'm assuming what Trump is is after is like okay let Virginia Maryland Pennsylvania do it, um, and Mick Mulvaney can can move, move towards his balanced budget.
3: Right, but I mean this is as we, we pointed out earlier. This is the president's budget. The president's budget is not necessarily what comes out of the other end of Congress. So th- there's a th- chance to yeah. yeah.
1: Thank God because yeah, there are I mean. You know, we're clearly in the minority. We have 194 Democrats versus 241-ish Republicans. So we're going to have to rely on sensible Republicans on the Appropriations Committee. Uh, I'm not on it, but I, I've told by everyone that it's probably the, the most nonpartisan, mm-hmm. the least mm-hmm. partisan of the mm-hmm. committees. They, they work together well for, for decades. And so people like Tom Cole from Oklahoma, uh, Bill Simpson or Don, um, Mike Simpson from Idaho— Mm-hmm. Um, have to be the the wiser heads, to, especially on on EPA the thirty one percent the twenty percent of the workforce, uh, and State Department USAID. I, I I didn't see this morning's numbers, but they were talking thirty seven percent.
3: It comes out to twenty eight percent at State Department.
1: Twenty eight, yeah, which is uh, all the generals now are pushing back, saying, how many wars do you want us in? You know, we need diplomacy to make the world a safer place.
3: So, what's going to happen to Paul Ryan's? Uh, or we don't know. Whether, is it Paul Ryan's plan or Donald Trump's plan or the plan? What's going to happen?
1: Well, I hear neither of them like having it called Trump Care or Ryan Care. it's uh, funny, isn't it? They, yeah. yeah, it's whereas President Obama finally it. said, "You can call it Obamacare if you want." You know, sure, It's, it's right. Real. No. I, I just don't see how they pass it. I am not a fan of Senator Tom Cotton for many, many reasons. But I, but I thought. He put his finger right on the thing when he said don't walk the plank um, because it's going nowhere in the Senate and the Democrats we Democrats are going to use it against you big time in 2018. I don't know how a those 30 40 Republicans that swing seats can stand up and say I just voted for something that's going to knock 24 million well White House calculates in 26 million mm-hmm. off of health care and roll back so much of the progress you know they they wanted to keep the waiver of pre-existing conditions but they don't keep it affordable. You know, the waiver pre-existing condition people will be charged a premium relative to the uh, expenses right. that come out. And, and Bill, as you know, um, older people are very good voters and younger people are not so reliable voters. And this really hammers the people in the 55 to 64 range or the 65 plus that still have health insurance. Um, they, they age related on a 5 to 1. So I'm 66. I could pay five times what a 25-year-old pays and uh that may be yeah that, that may be appropriate in terms of how much healthcare i'm going to use but it's not politically very smart
3: no that's in the plan that yeah. the insurance companies can charge five times for, for seniors what they charge younger people yeah. and without the and so I, I, I don't see how it adds up because if if you don't require everybody to buy health insurance so basically you have young people an out right yeah uh, the seniors who need it are going to have to pay five times as much without anybody else being in the pool
1: Well, just think of what those premiums are going to be. The simplest idea of the Affordable Care Act was everybody has insurance, everybody pays. Very, very simple. Yeah. And now the, the Republicans have this idea about the continuous coverage, uh, and this is the, the way to keep the young people mm-hmm. on, they say, that if you, get, if you get off for more than X number of weeks— And you try to come back on, you have to pay a thirty percent penalty for the first year. Right. But why would you come back on until you got sick? So, or why would you buy it in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Right. You just just wait till you get sick and buy it then. Yeah, and pay the thirty percent penalty for one year. You know. Um, Yeah, it's a really Bill. One of the most amazing things I read yesterday is the CBO report buried in it says that seventeen thousand people, additional people, will die in two thousand eighteen. Under the Trump care bill because of the denial of services inability to get them uh, and it goes up to twenty nine thousand people in I think twenty twenty five twenty twenty six and even weirder someone did the math that saves the American public three billion dollars in social Security benefits they don't have to pay up hmm. It's the most pernicious way of thinking about
3: it right did you have a town hall in your district uh, and how, what are you hearing from the people in your district particularly about the Medicaid I think you know, I mean remember Donald Trump promised he's not going to touch social security not going to touch medicare not going to touch medicaid this plan
1: does yeah we we haven't done one in the last couple of weeks we had one scheduled for monday night but it got snowed out Oh, um, right and we have four more scheduled set up but the first one we did uh, on martin luther king day wait sell out crowd as not during as your expected. Break. Yeah. yeah yeah and people everywhere but the number one th- and that was before the trump care plan had come out but the number one question Phrased from every different perspective, was what can I do? How can I make a difference? How can I fight back? Hmm. And uh, and that's really been a very constant theme, which is why we see groups like the Resistance and Indivisible and all these candidates. Uh, We're we're, as Denny Heck, the member of Congress from Washington State, who leads the recruitment. We are quote unquote reigning candidates. Hmm. So many people have said. The way the only way I know how to fight back is to go up, stand up, and run for Congress or something.
2: There are a lot of people who have that feeling. I mean, they, they, they people want to do something. Yeah, right. Yeah. They want to do something. They want to get involved, and that could mean they're going to give twenty dollars to the ACLU, and for other people, it means this is finally time for yeah, me to yeah. run. Yeah, you and, know. And it's not. And Peter's not ego. I mean, no, 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 no! It's not
1: like oh, I want to be important
2: now. It's like I want to make a difference. I want to now. do something. Yeah. I want to contribute. I want yeah. to make things better because this is not okay.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Now, in the, uh,
3: the it was reported that after I think it was the people who were in from uh, Emily's list, and also we had a, a guest in the other day from the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee. They're looking at state legislative yeah. races, God as you bless pointed them. out. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> redistricting, so important uh, that uh, after the women's march. Uh, here in Washington and around the country, right, So that there's so many women who just just said, okay, this is what i got to do now. And whether it's school board, city council, board of supervisors, or Congress, right, get out there and make a difference.
1: My, my 24-year-old daughter lives here in, in downtown, D.C. She seems to find a different march every weekend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we're all excited about the science march coming yeah. up on, on yes. April 22nd. It'll that'll, yes. that'll be, that'll be really fun. Right. Which is, is that the anniversary, I think, of the first Earth Day, isn't it? It or is, exactly right.
2: You're yeah, right. If you day. want to get active and you want to protest and you want to resist, you got plenty of opportunities. Yeah. There's always yeah. something.
4: The
1: Parting Shot with Bill Press. This. Is the Bill Press show
3: okay? Whatever you do, don't give Donald Trump too much credit for paying $38 million in taxes in the year 2005. Yes, that's what we learned uh, from investigator reporter David K. Johnston night before last on the Rachel Maddow show. That believe it or not, in 2005, Donald Trump paid $38 million in taxes or 24% on a net income of $150 million after writing off $103 million in unspecified business losses. But those two pages of Donald Trump's 2005 tax return actually raise more questions than they answer. Like, one, why did he pay a rate of only 24% for somebody as wealthy as he is? The going rate is 39.6%. So, two... Where's the rest of his 2005 return? Could those losses he claimed be justified? In other words, did he really pay his fair share that year? And three, where are his tax returns for every other year? I mean, why won't he release them? What is he trying to hide? And by the way, four, last October... We saw, remember, three pages of his 1995 tax returns where he declared a loss of $916 million, which would enable him to avoid paying taxes for 18 years. No taxes at all. So what happened in those 10 intervening years between 1995 and 2005? In other words, Donald Trump is far from off the hook when it comes to his tax returns and what they show about his business connections, including possible illegal ties to Russia. There's only one way to clear it all up. Release every year of Donald Trump's tax returns and do it now. This is The Bill Press Show.